Hello, sweet sisters, and welcome to Cosmic Conceptions, a place where we acknowledge that women are of nature and the stars. My name is Athena, and I'll be your guide as we explore esoteric transmissions on fertility astrology, conscious conceptions, women's health, and more. Here we will not shy away from the radical, the controversial, or the spiritual. So grab your tea, and let's get cosmic. Happy Moon Day, everyone. How's everyone doing out there? We just had a new moon in Virgo, which I personally did not enjoy. So (laughs) I hope your experience was a better one. Um, I want to start off the show by thanking Ryan for becoming our newest paying supporter of the work that we're doing here on the podcast and over at Substack. So if you would like to um, support this work that we're sharing in together, you can tap the link in the show notes and subscribe. For $11 a month, you get access to all of the bonus material for the podcast episodes, including the archive of past uh, bonus material that we are now creating a library out of, which is very exciting, as well as my monthly Ask Me Anythings and my very personal and tender Cosmic Conception Diaries, because I am too on a cosmic conception journey of my own. So it feels very precious and intimate to be able to share some of that process with you over on Substack. And of course, if you cannot uh, make that investment, but you still want to support the show, please consider sharing the podcast with your friends or maybe even leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Today, we are going to be talking about how to plan the sex of your baby. And I'm actually always very surprised at how interested women seem to be in wanting to be able to have this knowledge. And uh, maybe that's my own bias and we'll get into why, but it does seem to be a hot topic, how to plan the sex of your baby. Uh, And we can do this through the moon's placement at our time of conception. It's actually quite simple. And there's a little bit of a technique to how you can make it more effective than not, which, of course, I will get into for those who are interested. But before we get into that, I do want to start by sharing with you my own personal story in regards to how I came to discover fauna sex, how I came to discover that I was having a girl during my first pregnancy um, and why that was extremely shocking and upsetting for me. (laughs) And I think that it will um, bring some context to the stories that we hold on to about sex and gender and our programming around what, well, either of the sexes mean to us, um, what they signify, and why sometimes we have reasons behind why we want to control that outcome. So I guess I'll begin by talking about 
when I first started to be invested in the sex of the baby that I was carrying during my pregnancy. So during Fauna's pregnancy, first time mom, um, I was very much aware of medicalized birth and the industrial birth system, but primarily through the lens of, oh, hospital birth can be quite horrifying and traumatic, but home birth with midwives is the better and only alternative. That is how I approached my pregnancy. And that a lot of the tests that fall under the umbrella of prenatal care are actually sort of a necessary, um, but there are natural ways that you can do some of them and other of them are kind of important, right? So maybe you should just, um, you know, consent to some but not the other. And well, there's just a whole lot of um, interesting rhetoric out there surrounding this whole approach to prenatal care. And again, being a first-time mom immersed in the culture that we are all subjected to, uh, I was very confused and unclear actually looking back about what my options were. Um, And so although I knew that I didn't want to have an ultrasound done, I was kind of... um, romanced or wooed in some way, I don't remember how, by the option to get a genetics test done. It seemed very simple. My home birth midwife could just draw blood in my living room and we could send it off to get some panel, you know, however they do it, um, to make sure that the baby doesn't have any kind of horrific genetic deformity. Um okay, fine, I guess, right? That sounds like a good idea, right? Like you want to know that information. Um, It's funny because they don't really, you don't really process what you're going to do if the information is not what you want it to be, right? (laughs) But that's for a whole other conversation that we probably will talk about in another podcast. Um, So anyway, but the other part of this test that I actually was more interested in was being able to find out the sex of the baby, um, because that could also be included in the results as well. Uh, and of course, didn't I did not think through at all why I wanted to know the sex of the baby. I didn't really fully consider that I had the option to not know. Again, our culture is really... Um, indoctrinated by this sense of needing to control things (laughs) and know things that we otherwise wouldn't have access to without technology. There's not a lot of uh, openness to the mystery of things, right? It's just so, of course, if you have the option to know the sex of the baby, then why not just know? And then, of course, you can also throw gender reveal parties and it's like a whole thing. So anyway, of course, I got this test done and immediately afterwards started experiencing anxiety about what if my baby has some horrific genetic disorder, right? And this was something that I, of course, didn't worry about or think about at all until I subjected myself to getting this test done. Uh, And I first started to experience that anxiety, well, I suppose it was generalized on some more of a subconscious level during the day time, but then really like at night is when all the demons come out. Um, 
at least for me. (laughs) So, you know, lying there at night thinking about the possibility that my child is going to be horrifically deformed, all this stuff. Uh, And then I started having dreams. Okay. So the, the first dream in which I believed that my spirit baby was communicating with me was through a dream in which I gave birth to a baby boy. And the context of the dream was one, not only did I have a baby boy, and I thought that this was being something that was being revealed to me, but two, that the, the baby was not genetically impaired that I had a perfectly normal, healthy baby. And so I started clinging to this dream as a sign that everything was going to be okay. But then I started having more dreams, uh, again, with a baby boy. And I began convincing myself, obviously, because this, you know, why would my dreams lead me astray? I started convincing myself that this was how my baby was communicating with me and that I was going to have a boy, I and, and I became very attached to this idea that I was going to have a boy. And I started coming up with all of these stories about how it was going to be me and him against the world and blah, blah, blah. And also, just for context, this was pre-women's sovereign health, you know, era Athena, right? So like I wasn't necessarily attached to having a daughter so I could pass down the blood mysteries and all of this stuff. Like I was so totally not there, you guys, like at all. (laughs) So I was perfectly content with the idea that I would have a very straightforward and simple uh, boy (laughs) without the complications of womanhood and girlhood and all of this stuff. Okay, so flash forward now to when I finally get these precious test results in, right? And I think that they were emailed to me or something like that. And the the irony of this timing, or rather the synchronicity of this timing, is that I received these results when I was home visiting my family and actually staying at my mother's house, which is something that I don't even do anymore because I have very strict boundaries around that relationship. Um, Again, this was pre-sovereign Athena getting her shit together life. So I'm staying at my mother's house and I'm waiting for these results to come in and I'm so sure that I'm going to have a boy. And then I look at the PDF and I almost did not even care that my child was deemed healthy by grace of this panel that was produced because all I could focus on was that stupid pink (laughs) Venus symbol, huge, like right on the first page declaring very loudly that I was actually going to have a girl. And immediately I started to panic and it was kind of like a slow building panic. Like I think I was in shock at first and then I started to get more and more upset and I had no like idea what was happening to me. I didn't even realize that I was that attached to having a boy. I had no idea why having a girl would be so upset. 
upsetting. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates kind of opened and all of these thoughts and all of these beliefs started to surface. And I cried and cried. And I realized I had I had the thought it wasn't even like a super conscious realize. I mean, it was a conscious realization because it was a belief that finally surfaced in the form of a thought in my brain, which was, if I have a girl, she will never love me. I truly believed that if I had a girl, I would repeat the patterns of all of the relationships between the women in my family, in my matrilineage specifically, and that she would never love me. That a relationship between me as a mother and my child as a daughter would just not be possible for us. And that was huge. I had no idea at that point, until that point, how deeply watching the relationships unfold between the women in my family were were impacting my perception of mother-daughter relationships in general. Until I realized that on some and, you know, maybe my dreams were a spirit baby communicating with me. I don't know. I have no idea. I have never had dreams about baby boys ever since. Um, you know, it could, it could mean a lot of things. But I do, because of how I walked through this process, I do believe in some ways that dreaming of a boy was really my way of coping with this intense fear that I didn't even know that I had. Uh, and then of course, finding out that I had a girl, you know, then I had to confront this fear. And of course, ultimately, you know, giving birth to my daughter has been, oh, here's the other layer to the story. Let me back up. <laughs> um, I knew that because of my, the due date, and of course, I, this is pre- who I am now, Athena. So I, for a little while at least, hung on to this notion of a due date, which is absolute and utter bullshit for so many reasons. Again, another podcast episode. But anyway, I knew that according to the due date or the birthing window, et cetera, et cetera, that uh, my daughter was going to be a Pisces. And guess what sun sign my mother is? <laughs> My mother is a Pisces. Um, and because she was the only Pisces that I ever really knew in my whole life. And so my perception of the Pisces persona was not a very favorable one. I didn't know any form of expression of the Pisces archetype other than the very sort of dysfunctional expressions of my mother. And so there was this added uh, flavor of sick torture, right, to this whole this whole um, scenario playing out before me. I, can, I was convinced that God was punishing me, that I was going to give birth to my mother and have to then somehow be in this weird karmic cycle where I am then taking care of my mother as a child for the rest of my life and we're going to hate each other. And <laughs> it was horrible and very, very dramatic um, and obviously victim-centered. Uh, outlook on the whole situation. 
But of course, that did not happen. I did not give birth to my mother. My daughter and I do not hate each other. And I do not foresee each other hate. I do not foresee us hating each other anytime soon. Um, I am fully aware of the dynamics that are playing out within my family that I do believe can be healed and don't need to be repeated. And ultimately giving birth to my daughter, the Pisces, has been extremely healing for for me in terms of feeling like I have the opportunity to reclaim, you know, the mother-daughter relationship that I always of course, so desperately wanted and will never be able to have. Now, I don't think that this story is actually particularly unique. I think we would be surprised to know that there are actually a lot of other similar stories out there from women who, because of the availability of this technology and not only the availability but really the pressure to utilize the technology that most couples end up finding out let's just stick to the sex and we'll leave all the other testing for another time but finding out the sex of the child before they're born and there can be a lot of interesting emotions that come forward especially if we are either consciously or subconsciously hoping for a particular sex. And I mean, I do have to say in my situation, my transition from maidenhood to motherhood was difficult enough. And I am really grateful that I did not spend my entire pregnancy convinced that I was having a boy only to then give birth to a girl. I think that that might have been a little bit much. (laughs) I'm not really sure how that would have uh, unfolded for me in postpartum, but I am sort of glad that I didn't have to find out that way. Uh, Of course, now that I have moved through that initiation and I have resolved my stories around mothering boys and girls, uh, and I have reclaimed my, you know, the, the, the intergenerational patterns and traumas that lived within my matrilineage and have been able to reclaim that healing for my own family and feel confident about that, that if I were to do it again, or I suppose moving forward, it would just not interest me at all to know the sex. And that's not a judgment on those who would want to know. I just, I suppose that I... I do trust deeply in the lessons that our children bring to us. And I do believe deeply that our children are choosing us very um, intentionally. And that whatever human form that soul comes to you in is going to provide the medicine that you need in your life if you are willing to receive it. All this is to preface our conversation about planning for the sex of your baby just to provide some food for thought about the stories that we carry around raising boys and girls and our own subconscious beliefs that we may not even know are there and how that might be influencing not only how you anticipate the sex 
of your unborn babies, but then how you choose to raise them. And I almost um, am looking forward to the possibility of having a son because I think that there is a lot of work that needs to be done to heal the men in our culture, just as in these circles, in women's circles, we are very focused on healing the feminine and healing female health and reclaiming herstory and all of these kinds of things. But the men are really in desperate need of healing as well. And I do believe that both sexes need to rise together in order for our collective consciousness to repair that it's not just about women reclaiming their power and uh, so much, we can get into this. Oh my God, more podcast episodes, you guys. <laughs> so many other episodes. Um, but yes, so the point is, is that boy or, go- or girl, your child is a gift. They are here to bring you medicine. It is an incredible honor to raise either sex and... I trust that I trust that you will know how to approach that challenge and that opportunity. <sighs> okay, all of that being said, let's get into the details. How do you go about planning the sex of your baby? Okay, let me switch gears here into astrology land. So the moon is passing through the zodiac right? As it's going around the wheel, um, envision your natal chart. It's passing through all of those zodiac signs. And each time it enters into a new sign, it's either in a sign that is governed by the fire element, the air element, the water element, or the earth element. Now, these placements like all of the other things you've been talking about on this show, the transits, the cosmic weather, blah, 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 your fertile moon phase, this placement influences the, well, there's a couple theories. It, it obviously is influencing our, our environment and is also influencing our physical body in such a way that the potential sex of the baby that is formed at the moment of conception is decided. The tricky thing about using this method to plan the sex of the baby is that it's not the moment when you make love that is relevant. It's the moment in which the conception happens, which of course you can't fully control. It depends on a lot of things. How fast are his swimmers? Uh, How recently did the egg get released? Where are they meeting up in the fallopian tube? I don't like using that word. The ovarian tube. Um, You know, there's a you can't really control all that timing. So, if you want to set yourself up for best chance at success. If this is really important to you, maybe you are like, Athena, I have 10 boys and I need my little girl or I'm just going to die. I don't know what to do. (laughs) If you want to really try to um, have, you know, the sex that you are desiring, this is what I would recommend. Okay. So it, it is thought that sperm 
survive, right, in the body preparing to meet with the egg for three about about three days. Some sources say like up to five. I don't let's just say three, right? I think three is fair. So we would assume then that if you are making love at an appropriate time, either during your lunar fertile window or your, you know, hormonal fertile window, whatever, uh, that within three days of that moment, the conception is going to happen. Now, the moon takes about two and a half days to travel through one sign in the zodiac. So that's pretty close in timing. So let's say the moon just entered into a sign that is going to increase the chances of having the girl that you want. You want to, hopefully, that moment is going to be when you are in a fertile window so that you can have intercourse right after the moon enters into that sign. And so then you know that the moon will remain in that sign for the next two and a half days, which is the most likely window that the moment of conception is going to happen before the moon moves on to the next one. So how do you know which sign is going to produce which sex? Okay, so it's very simple. The elements are sort of associated at least in the zodiac with, or in astrology, with male and female counterparts. So the water element and the earth element are associated with the female archetype and therefore female signs, if you will. Fire and air are associated with the male archetype and therefore male signs. So all of your earth signs, which include Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn, and all of your water signs, which include Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces, are all going to increase your chances of producing a female child. All of your fire signs, so Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius, and all of your air signs, Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius are going to increase your chances of producing a male child. And you'll notice that the way that the planets travel through the zodiac or the way that the zodiac is distributed throughout the sphere is that they alternate, right? So it goes the seasons, can I do this off the top of my head? Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. So if you can keep up with that, you'll notice that they alternate back and forth between male elements and female elements, which is why your windows within which you can attempt to conceive during these signs is very short, right? Because the moon is constantly, in some ways, on the cusp of entering into the next sign, which is always going to be the opposite gender or rather sex of, you know, what you might be planning for. Does this make sense? I think I made sense. Let's review. 
the sign that the moon occupies at the moment of conception, not during lovemaking, but the moment where the egg receives the sperm, that sign is going to be relevant to influencing the sex selection of the baby. The signs are associated with females and males through their elemental representation. The earth signs and the water signs are associated with the female archetype. The air signs and the fire signs are associated with the male archetype. Earth signs include Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. Water signs are Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. Those signs are all going to increase your chances of conceiving a female. Fire signs are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. Air signs are Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. Those signs are going to increase your chances of conceiving a male baby. The moon travels through each zodiac, spends time in each one for about two and a half days. Sperm live an average of three days within the female body. Therefore, if you want to plan for the sign that the moon is going to be in at the moment of conception, I would advise that you make love just as the moon crosses over into the sign and element of your preference. That way, the sperm life and the time that the moon takes to pass through that sign are going to pretty much overlap and be on similar timelines. I believe my teacher, Judith Hill, has an extremely long track record of success using this method. I believe her efficacy rate is over 87%. So this is a, I guess you could say, proven way or has very strong evidence that this method works for couples if you are trying to actively plan the sex of your baby. I do want to throw in another two cents that kind of relates to what I was talking about in the beginning of the episode, and it has to do with some of the stories that are shared in the book, Spirit Babies, How to Communicate with the Child You're Meant to Have. This book is written by Walter McKitchen, and he is a clairvoyant who has helped probably hundreds of couples communicate with their spirit babies. Now, I didn't really love the book. I was more so anticipating that it was going to include, I don't know, different methods of talking to your spirit babies and connecting with them and setting up altars or, I don't know, just different fun things that you can do to inspire opening up that line of communication with your children, your spirit children. But it was mostly, if you're really into mantra-based meditations and visually activating the chakra system, then this book is for you. If you're not, that's not really your jam, then it might not be for you. Most of the book was actually just stories of case studies, so clients that he's seen and the different ways in which communicating with their spirit babies uh, impacted their preconception experience. And 
Some of the stories that really stuck with me since I first bought this book actually several years ago was this were the stories of couples who were clinging very tightly to wanting to call in a baby of a specific sex. And because they were clinging to that desire, the spirit babies that were of the opposite sex that were trying to come through could not make the connection because they felt unwanted by the parents who were so deeply desiring a child of the opposite sex. And so by having that revealed to the parents and then for the parents to begin communicating with a child and dropping their desires for an oppositely sexed baby, um, they were able to get pregnant after many years of not being able to conceive. So if that feels like something that feels true for you, you can take that into consideration. If it's something that does not feel true for you, then absolutely just leave it aside. Now, those of you who have worked with me through Infertile Moon are very aware that one of the perks that you get through that offering is by receiving a fertile transit report that I calculate for you that includes six months of your fertile moon windows as well as other fertility transits, some of those transits we talked about in the previous episode. So you can kind of gauge a more holistic uh view of what is going to be going on for you during those months. But you also have the option, it's not required, but you have the option for me to also list the potential sex predictions based on where the moon is going to be during your fertile moon phase, right? Not necessarily the conception point because I can't really control that for you. What I'm bringing to the table for you guys this week, and I introduced it in the previous podcast as well, is the option to purchase a fertile transit report without needing to sit down with me one-on-one through Infertile Moon. Okay, so this opportunity is for women who feel stable in their health and their fertility, who don't necessarily feel that they need to invest in the sort of health coaching aspect of Infertile Moon or maybe aren't interested in having their a whole chart reading done for them, but it is for women who still want to bring that layer of cosmic awareness into their preconception planning. This also makes these fertile transit reports available now for women who have already sat with me one-on-one in Infertile Moon but are needing to Um, receive an additional six-month report. If this is interesting to you, there's going to be a link in the show notes to access this. The Fertile Transit Report is only $99, so it's a lot more affordable than sitting with me one-on-one. And if you are a paying supporter of this show and the work that I'm producing over on Substack, as the bonus content for this episode, you will get access to a coupon code to take 15% off this offering No limitations, no deadline. It will just be there for you when you're ready. 
If you do want more personalized attention, if you do need guidance through self-healing, earth-based medicine techniques, if you do want me to look at your whole chart and take into consideration more evolutionary aspects to your story, the medical astrology layer to your healing expressions and what you're going through, then please take advantage of Infertile Moon. That will also be linked in the show notes always. Uh, September is booked out for me. The rest of the month is booked out, but I do have openings again beginning in October. Please consider making that investment. It is so worth it. I've been loving sitting with you guys and reading your charts and watching you come home to yourselves every time and entering on your journeys with a whole new perspective. It is really so rewarding for both of us involved. <laughs> it really is. So however this is going to be supportive for you, whether you just want to acquire a fertile transit report or if you're ready to go all in and receive the medicine that Infertile Moon provides, please check out the show notes to have access to those offerings and read more about them. And of course, I look forward to seeing more of your subscriptions come through on Substack and connecting with you there. And... That's all for this week. Until next time. <laughs>